Hello and welcome to Prince Track by Track. I am Darren, your host, and today we're going to be talking about Bambi from Prince, the second album by Prince. Um, it was recorded between April and the 13th of June 1979 at the Alpha Studios with the rest of the album and was released on the 17th of October 1979. Uh, interestingly enough, Prince returned to this track uh, almost exactly 14 years later on the 14th of June 1993 uh, where he had uh, Sonny T and Mike B from the New Power Generation and they recorded um, a, a kind of uh, like a, a nine song set um, which was going to be part of a project called The Undertaker. Um, so it's interesting that Prince liked this song enough to go back and re-record it. Um, on the 1979 version, though, it's just Prince by himself, uh, playing everything, playing the guitars, playing the drums, um, and the track is 4 minutes to 22. Um, and uh, later on when it was re-recorded, it was a little bit shorter by by a few seconds. Um, and it was released as a B-side um for still waiting um and <laughs> on the 25th of march 1980 but only in new zealand the the new zealand version of still waiting was the only one that had this as a b-side uh so i guess warner brothers felt that uh, new zealand needed to hear this song but you know maybe people were too lazy to buy the album i don't know um warner brothers did a lot of this uh with the first few albums by prince where they would just put random album tracks as b-sides uh, joining me today is uh, Patrick Hamilton. Hello, Patrick. Hello. Happy to be here. I'm going to first ask you, um, as this is your, your debut episode, how did you get into Prince? Um, you know, was there a specific song that you recall hearing and it kind of, you know, piqued your interest in him? Uh, did someone else introduce it to you? Um, you know, uh, what was it that made you realize that Prince was someone that you were interested in? I grew up in Los Angeles. I'm one of the rare people who actually was born and raised here. And the one really great thing about Los Angeles radio at the time is that we had a wealth of what people would now call urban radio stations. Back then, R&B. Black radio stations that would play soul classics and Motown classics, but also a ton of contemporary uh, black artists from a wide variety. And at the time, you did have quite a variety of black music being made. And Prince was one of those things that I kind of stumbled across. They started playing Controversy in town, and that really caught my attention. It was, while you could trace it, through the sort of um, bop gun funk scene, the the Oakland San Francisco rock and funk fusion, there was something completely his own voice. If yeah. there is a an artist at the time who you could tell instantly knew exactly what he or she was supposed to sound like, it was Prince. Um, I often say when talking to people about music that you either are making your own waves, riding waves, or chasing yeah. waves. And yeah. Prince forever made his own waves. Whether or not anyone else decided to ride that wave with him, he didn't give a rat's ass. But he generated all of his own motion. And that takes a ton of effort and an incredible amount of musical acumen and genius and of course that was something he had in spades i was sort of aware of him earlier on now of course once you get into you know 
1999, he's, he takes over the entire scene. But I was actually a little bit on the cusp only because radio stations in Los Angeles were on the bleeding edge of what was cool. And I mean, it's interesting because obviously, you know, uh, Prince had recorded at Alpha Studios in Burbank. He'd recorded later on before he got, you know, uh, Paisley Park. He recorded a lot at Sunset Sound. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm assuming these are places that maybe you're familiar with, (laughs) kind of. Uh, been in the area, or maybe not. I don't know. I I more or less became aware of them after the fact. I mean, I was very young at the time, so yeah. um, so their legend grew as I got older and became more invested in the actual musical history of the town I happened to grow up in. Uh, you would ask me at a certain time, and I would assume that you know all music had been created just on the other side of the hill where I lived. But after the fact, there is an, this insane musical history here that sort of pops up around the actual record business. And, and while it is one of those things that's more regional than, say, movies or TV, it still yeah. has a rich history here. And I can understand why Prince would want to take advantage of a place like Sunset Studios, which has an incredible lineage of amazing rock and pop music. Oh, controversy was for sure the first thing I identified as Prince. And uh, from that moment on, he's so idiosyncratic and so unique that anything else that seemed to pop up along the way, he was instantly identifiable. And Bambi was one of those songs that I started to filter back into I think it was uh, my my cousin, Danny, had this album. He introduced yeah. me to a couple different things. One was the Cars, and the other would be Prince's actual back catalog. So it, at the time, I might have even thought that Controversy was on you know the same album as 1999. It was like, oh, there's he existed before this. Like <laughs> I've, I'm aware of this one song, but I did not know that he had several albums before this. So Bambi stood out in a couple different, it just ticks off a couple of boxes for me that yeah. make it like, as soon as I saw it up there, I'm like, Oh, Bambi, I have to yeah. talk about that song. Uh, with the first few albums, with these first couple of albums, I've struggled mostly to pick, you know, genres for the songs because obviously Prince was kind of, uh, deliberately avoiding kind of the disco sound, but he still had a bit of that kind of forced on him, uh, mm-hmm. particularly with the first album. Uh, but I think here we can basically say this is definitely a rock song. Like, um, you know, it starts with kind of like the crunching guitars and it starts with like the, the guitar riff. Um, and, you know, obviously there's, you know, like a big solo in there and, you know, it kind of fades out with Prince kind of doing again some more kind of like uh, riffing and vamping at the end. It's really about the guitar. This is like the first kind of really proper kind of rock song that he records. Um, you know, he's, he's had the guitar on a few tracks on the first album and, you know, it's featured a little bit on this second album. But this is just the first kind of like full on rock song that he's recording. If you were to put this in front of somebody and not tell them that that Prince is going to start singing at some point. You said, hey, I have, Did have you ever heard this Alice Cooper song and started playing it? People yeah. would go, oh, you know, maybe I haven't heard that Alice Cooper song. <laughs> like, <laughs> there is such a, and obviously he's coming from Minnesota, but there's a, 
a very Detroit rock sound going on here. You could put this in the Alice Cooper category, in the Kiss category. It just sounds like that particular rock moment in time, only that Prince is a much, much, much better guitarist than anyone, my apology to the Kiss Army, than anyone who has ever played guitar in Kiss. And there have been a number of people at this point. I know yeah. that everyone has their fans there, but you you cannot believe how much better he is at playing guitar. And then you put his gift for you know finding that hook in there, and it is palpable. I mean, this is a great rock track. It is just yeah. incredible. Growing up, I was much more uh, into the sonic elements of music than I ever was into lyrics. And about a decade ago, I started to be asked in my professional capacity to start to find songs for TV shows to use in yeah. the promotion of those TV shows. So I had to start paying attention to lyrics very <laughs> carefully. And so I don't know that I really understood what Bambi was about because all I heard was those sick, sick licks. And then I started to listen to the lyrics. And I'm like, oh, this is a very different song than I thought. It's also worth noting, of course, you know, it's in Prince's falsetto. And I know uh, that some people have issues hearing the lyrics clearly. I mean, there's a couple of songs on this album where you basically can't tell what he's singing about at all because the, the, the falsetto is so breathy that there's, mm-hmm. there's basically no words there. Um, but here, he's you know, he is singing in a falsetto, but it's a harder falsetto than he's used on some of the other songs, you know, obviously in fitting with the, you know, the rock um, kind of feel, um, mm-hmm. but it's still sometimes a little hard to make out exactly what he's kind of singing about, isn't it? So... Uh, I could understand you not kind of fully understanding what the song is is going on about. And also Prince kind of, uh, I mean, obviously, you know, it's about uh, a lesbian. But Prince mm-hmm. never says that word. He he frames it as, you had another lover and she looked just like you. I mean, actually, you know, the, the woman that he's talking about is possibly bisexual if, she's, if she has had a relationship with Prince. Although reading the lyrics, I don't think she has. I think Prince is just expressing a desire to, to kind of be that. Um, but you know, cause he's, I mean, obviously when he says another lover, it suggests that he's a lover as well, but, um, it should be noted that Prince played very heavily with an androgynous look. He yeah. had long hair. He was a tiny wispy thin guy. This was a, a lot of his appeal was that he was both masculine and feminine. And yeah. I think my original interpretation of you had a lover that, that looked exactly like you was he was the ex-boyfriend and they look a lot alike. And yeah, it wasn't until I started (laughs) to really hear the actual, you know, hook of that song that I was like, Oh, I have this all wrong. (laughs) I could not have misinterpreted this song any worse than I have with that. Although in my defense, I, I think I've explained why I thought it was something different. I mean, obviously, the, you know, the hook is Bambi, can't you understand? Um, and then Bambi, it's better with a man. Yes. Prince himself is, you know, saying, you know, it's so hard to believe, which I think is, it's kind of like, um, you know, someone saying, you know, like you're you're too pretty to be a lesbian or something like that, but kind of put in a more. And, and at the same time, it's worth noting at this particular point in time, Prince is, 
recording this song, um, you know, he, he's like 20, uh, turning yeah. 21. So, you know, this this is the mindset of kind of like a 20-year-old guy who possibly can't understand why every woman in the world doesn't want to have sex with him. You know, and if you're Prince, you look in the mirror and I can understand why you think, yeah, everyone wants to have sex with me. In his experience, it very well could be true that yeah. almost all the women he met did want to have sex with him. And the <laughs> idea that some woman didn't was mind-blowing. It's, you know... He, there are certain things you can help and there are certain things that you can't. And I think Prince was very aware of his sexual power. Yeah. That being said, there is a mindset here which obviously does not comport to our modern ideas. And we no. do have to take into consideration his age and experience at the time that he wrote it. Uh, the thing is, the lyrics, obviously, you know, the, the story that's being told, because it is a, a little bit of a story song, not as much as some of the others um you know on on kind of other albums um he's talking here about you know maybe it's because you're so young maybe it's because i'm too naive so he's you know he's kind of trying to find blame for someone's sexuality which is a very odd way of doing stuff and then of course he questions um you know the kind of i don't know almost kind of cliche at this point you know which is what do lesbians do for sex because he's like maybe you're really having fun <laughs> like so he's almost saying you know, who's to say? Maybe you're having fun. Maybe what you two are doing in, in, in bed is, you know, fun. And it's yeah. almost like questioning that. And it's such a it's such an odd kind of um, frame of mind. Um, and, 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 you know, I, I, I like as well how he says, um, they can only do the things that you do. Which is, a, you know, a, is kind of a very long way around of saying they don't have a penis. But it is also a, a naive... To, yeah. to assume that you know as a man exactly what two lesbians would do in the bedroom. It's a very manly way to think about this because men have a, a predisposition problem. We like to make assumptions based on our own experience and assume them to be true. And when it doesn't happen, you can go to uh, one of two ways. You can either learn from this and go, oh, there was something I didn't know. Maybe yeah. I should add that to the litany of knowledge that I have and use that experience and and now modify my behavior with what I have learned. Or you can just go forward and go, why isn't the world just automatically locking into my worldview? It's so simple for me, dummy. Why yeah. don't you, as a lesbian woman who may or may not have any interest in me or... In this case, possibly a bisexual person. But we yeah. don't really know that because we're only getting it from his perspective. So yeah. this is where you get that sort of toxic masculinity thing dripping into this. Instead of it being a man who is conf whose sexuality is rocked by the idea that he is not the biggest thing in this woman's world you have the additional element of the thing that might be rocking her world a lot harder is another yeah. woman. That's an interesting subject matter, but I don't know that it's handled with the most delicate nature, but we're talking 1979, everybody. <laughs> 1979. And of course he finishes it by saying, you know, take me by the hand. I'm going to show you what it's like to be loved by a man. Now, the final kind of two lines where Prince says, I know what you need. He then says, maybe you need to bleed. 
um, which is such a kind of odd way to finish the song before he goes yeah. into like a extended guitar solo. <laughs> uh, uh, now this is this, this uh, weird. The weirdest thing is he he makes this a reference to this, um, you know, like uh, the idea of uh, a, a woman uh, bleeding during the first time that she has sex. In on um, symbol, um, there's a there's a song where he 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 says, um, you know, there being blood on the sheets and you know you must have been a virgin. What was I thinking of? So obviously this is a this is a mindset that. Prince doesn't change even like 15, 16 years later after this album. He's mystified by hymens. Let's put this out here. There are things that he understands and things that he don't. And we could put hymens into the outside of Prince's comfort zone in terms of how or what he wants to understand about female sexuality. At the same time, I feel like the guitar is so good that you can kind of overlook all of the lyrics and the subject and just kind of concentrate on the music because it is possibly, like, certainly on these first two albums, it is, like, one of the best kind of examples of him as, like, a, a, a genius. Um, yes. You know, this is, like, this is... A th when you listen to the first album of Prince, and, I, you know, I said this on practically every track that I recorded for that... It's sometimes hard to see why Warner Brothers gave this guy like $180,000 in 1978 money and said, let's let's make three albums with this guy. Um, but by the time you get to this track, it's only when you listen to the kind of the music on this that you're like, yeah, this is the guy who, you know, on the next album is basically going to blow everyone's minds. And then from that point kind of rules the 80s. You know, this is the first hint of that to come but then obviously there's the unfortunate lyrics but you know kind of have everything can you and, and it has to be said that in terms of sonically this is yeah. the stepping stone to him getting to uh, a let's get crazy yeah he's beginning to experiment with where he can push various genres to fit the message he's trying to send and there are very few people who have been able to meld dance funk, R&B, rock and roll together to create pop music. You, yeah. you could almost count them on one hand on of someone who's been able to successfully accomplish all of those things and done it more than one. Now, right in this, I would have to say um, I was I would say five out of five, except the lyrics and the, the subject matter make me think, well, maybe I should kind of only give it four out of five. But I still think I probably gave it five out of five on iTunes because it is <laughs> it's a it is qualified such a five out of five. I think as long as you acknowledge the complications and problematic problematic nature of what is being discussed, I think you you were safe uh, appreciating what it actually is for me it's a qualified five out of five with with a an asterisk not for its lack of greatness <laughs> but simply because the greatness is this beautiful shell around a slightly cracked narrative uh, as mentioned earlier prince did re-record it for the undertaker mm -hmm. um there's a few songs on uh, from that kind of session that were you know um obviously at this at that particular point he wasn't prince anymore he was uh this artist formerly known as prince there's a couple of songs on there which you know were never really released including the title track the undertaker uh, there's a few other songs that were released um, but there's a nice version of Bambi on there with, you know, him and, and Michael B on the drums and, and Sonny T on the bass. And it kind of, it's not live, but it's kind of like live in studio. And it's it's a really interesting, you know, kind of um, song to listen to uh, being done live. Because I think 
it's just seeing Prince playing the guitar and playing this song. It's just you. Once again, you're like that guy was clearly a genius, and it's just amazing that. Um, and also, he performed it uh, live a few times. Uh, you can find them on YouTube with um, with Third Eye Girl. Uh, and it's in fact it's interesting because he you know he he would perform this song on the first few tours after controversy, and then he wouldn't really return to it until. Uh, the early 90s and then again he kind of after a few years of playing it he kind of gave up on it again and kind of didn't return to it again until um, just after Rainbow Children you know those those kind of tours around the the early 2000s musicology tour and then again it was another like five six years before he started playing it live again once he got Third Eye Girl kind of backing him up Um, so it's interesting that this is a song that Prince periodically would return to and worth noting that unlike say you know The Cross which he he kind of changed some of the lyrics to when he became more religious. He never changed the lyrics to this, no matter when he performed it live. He always kept the lyrics the exact same. This is something he deeply believes. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if this is just like a nod to the fans and the fact that people were going to sing along and kind of already knew the this, this lyrics, so it, there was no point kind of changing them. I don't know, it's just interesting that he kind of kept this perspective of this kind of like 20-year-old kid and just kept pay- playing the songs kind of when he was in his 30s and 40s and, you know, 50s and and still was singing those lyrics in that way. And I, I just think that's quite funny. I mean, uh, the Stones so. have never changed the lyrics to Brown Sugar, and they probably yeah. should have. So well, to his pattern of returning to it, because I think where you see him fall off is when he becomes entranced with a different style of music. When he starts dipping into jazz, all yeah. of a sudden... Bambi goes away. When he starts dipping into synth, Bambi goes away. Now, you come back to 1993, you are... 1992 could not be, could not have been a bigger rock year. Just yeah. one of the... You know, the October of 1991 and finding that Nevermind album by Nirvana was yeah. transformative. So here... Prince is feeling the wave that he's already generated once and gone, you know what? I, I don't have to, I can prove to, I'm, I can do this. Sit down, watch me do this. But here he's like, Oh, it's nice that you kids in Seattle are having your little (laughs) revival of punk thing. Let me show you how it's done. And he just, this is the perfect song to do it. Because there's a there's a good amount of the audience who might not have known that he had recorded it originally in 1979. You know, I feel like we have admired this song as much as we possibly can. <laughs> um, so I'm going to go to the plugs. Is there anything you wish to plug, Patrick? Well, my podcast is uh, Kill by Kill, and it could not be any different than uh, talking about Prince. But uh, we explore the least discussed component of any horror film, the, the characters. And uh, we are currently going through the Friday the 13th film franchise in the hopes that uh, Camper's Untimely End is just the beginning of the jokes we can make about them. We talk about a couple different deaths every single episode, and we launch fortnightly, uh, so every other Friday. Great stuff. Um, and can we follow that on Twitter? Absolutely, at Kill by Kill Pod. You can uh, follow me personally at uh, Pat R.A. Hamilton. Uh, you can also follow us on Instagram at 
Kill by Kill Pod. Great stuff. And you can find us on Facebook at Prince Track by Track or we're on Twitter at Prince Podcast. Or if you wish to email us, I don't know why you would, you can get us at Prince Track by Track at gmail.com. So thanks very much for being my guest for this track, Patrick. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I had a great time. And otherwise, goodbye. Bye. Bye.